0: I said, yes, I do want to be a makeup artist and I'm going to be one of the top makeup artists in the world. And she just said, I think you should get your bags and go. And I said, I think I should as well. And that was that.
1: Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lies, the podcast in which I, Madeleine Spencer, invite a guest to join me to talk about their life and to explore the relationship they've had with their parents along the way. So it's been a little while since I released the last draft of episodes and for that I can only apologise and also heartily thank those of you who kept asking when the next lot would be out and since we last spoke I've been incredibly busy with writing and reviewing which has meant I've had to travel an awful lot which I know isn't exactly a hardship but I've been busy and I've also been thinking about the podcast quite a lot so I'm really really pleased to be releasing these new episodes. So today's guest is the extraordinary makeup artist, author and YouTuber Lisa Eldridge. I've been a big fan of Lisa's for years and I was so excited to have her on the podcast and unsurprisingly, she's one of the most requested guests to date and I'm so happy she could join me to talk through her story. I so enjoyed hearing how Lisa became the Lisa Eldridge and some of the different tales of how determined and single-minded she was in the field in which she would make her name. On this episode, we talk about a few of her fascinating clients, and they really are very fascinating, about the history of makeup, in which Lisa is a huge expert, and about her favourite eras and inspirations. Now, I think this is the episode to take with you on a nice long walk or while relaxing in bed, listening to Lisa's famous voice, which many consider has this ASMR quality. We talk a little bit about that in the episode. I definitely agree that it does. It definitely soothes me. And there was a time that I was quite ill in South Africa. I tell Lisa the story later on. And all I could do really was watch her YouTube videos to chill out. And it really, really worked. I'm really pleased that this episode is powered by the modern British skincare brand Amly. So, I went to Sussex to learn more about the products recently, and I was blown away by how much thought and passion had gone into them. So, I'll be back at the end of the episode to talk a little bit about my favourites. But until then, here's Lisa Eldridge. I'm going to start you as I start all my guests in your childhood.
0: So, you started life in New Zealand. So, why were you there and what are your memories of that very early time in your life? So, I was born in England, but then I went to New Zealand really young when I was a baby. I have certain vivid memories, sort of where we lived, which was quite remote, the beach and sitting on the porch, nature. New Zealand is such an incredible country. I mean, it's so beautiful. Little snippets of like, Beautiful days out and green fields and beaches, really. And did you pick up the accent? But absolutely, yeah. I mean, I know that when I came to England, people thought I spoke a bit strange. People thought I spoke posh. Actually, that's what they used to say to me. But I think it was just because (laughs) I think it was just because it was an accent, really.
1: (laughs) A lot of people say now. I'm sure you hear this all the time that your voice is very soothing and there's like an ASMR quality to watching you do makeup. So. I wonder if the different threads are in there somewhere. They're thought in New Zealand somewhere.
0: I'd never even heard of ASMR until I started doing my YouTube. And then people would say it. And i was thinking, what is this? Like, I never really understood what they meant until I researched it. And then I was like, oh, OK, that's interesting.
1: Tell us about your
0: slow journey um, to Liverpool. So you went on a ship. How long did it take? What What were you doing? months yeah we were just traveling around and visiting lots of countries I remember being in Fiji and different places that we stopped at and I remember I went to like a little school on the ship and I remember morning tea at 11 o'clock in the morning that's my most vivid memory I remember I had actually measles while I was on there I Had to stay in the cabin for like a week and a half, which was a bit weird, <laughs> things like that. But I do remember running up to the deck and like seeing all the tables being set for 11 a.m. tea and seeing all the white tablecloths. And that's like such a vivid memory for me. I remember getting off the boat in Fiji and what that felt like and being greeted by all these incredible people and flowers and. Just wonderful sights and sounds and smells and experiences. Looking back it's all quite odd and like strange but at the time it just seemed quite normal. Yeah it's quite an experience to have had when I read that I was thinking what a loss to put in such a
1: young mind like all those different countries and the different textures and smells and tastes and everything that that really must have packed your imagination.
0: Yeah, no, it really did. I think that it definitely sparked my kind of passion for like curiosity and wanting to know lots, you know, being very hungry and curious and hungry for sights and sounds and information. And it kind of set me up really in life for being quite, I guess I like lots of different things all the time. I'm sure it's from that period because it wasn't exactly, um, you know, it wasn't the same every day. So when you got to Liverpool, you met your grandmother.
1: Now, was she a glamorous figure? Was she someone where you instantly thought,
0: oh, wow, that's my grandmother? My grandmother was just everything to me. She wasn't glamorous at all. Okay. Like my mum is glamorous and I always was. Granny was a lot more kind of mumsy. She had like a really simple beauty routine. She's the same thing every day. Whereas my mum was really into like makeup, hair, clothes, being super glamorous. So yeah, but my grandmother was really musical and that's what I loved about her. So we used to play the piano together. We used to do duets all the time. I was constantly singing as a child because she taught me all like the old songs, because she had all the sheet music from when she was a child. So I learned so many music hall kind of old fashioned songs and and every morning I basically woke up to the sound of my granny playing the piano. And she used to write me little poems and poetry and things like that. So we were like such a, a double act. We had our, a secret language, which was based on kind of, you know, a scale. So we used to Dad, this sing-song language that was uh, we used to use with each other. She was really musical. My dad's very so musical.
1: It completely skips me, but you grow that appreciation for music. And music's a key as well. It's a key into history and it's a key into emotions and mindsets. So it's it's another one of those ones that... I imagine filled your suitcase again with this sort of discovery and the appreciation of the arts again.
0: Yeah, and I even used to love looking at all because she had from her mother who played the piano as well. So going back, 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 she used to have all the sheet music. And I love looking at the sheet music as well because it had all the illustrations, and, like the singers on. And um, I learned all the words to like Victorian sort of music hall songs and things. Yeah, that I just loved all that old sheet music. It was extraordinary because it was it was theatrical, so it was appeal to a child. I remember like there used to be a song like that was like like the audience was supposed to like shout out. So like we used to sing this song. I met her, Bandy Bertha. It was like a silly kind of music hall song from probably like the twenties. So that was one of the first songs that I learned, and it was very theatrical and very kind of pantomimey. And you know, my seven-year-old. Have thought that was hilariously funny and brilliant. I wouldn't listen to it now, though.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, your interest in makeup was um, sparked when you found your mum's teenage stash in her old bedroom. So, what was it about that makeup in particular? If your mum was a glamorous woman who was dressing up, why is it that that stash really sparked your interest and held you captivated?
0: I think because it was probably the era, like the, the kind of makeup that she had in that box. The makeup that she was wearing at that time was seemed like quite new and a little bit more basic, like mundane. Whereas the makeup that she had in that box was a lot more sixties and kind of, you know, Mary Quant and lots of this coaty stuff. And it was probably just more out there really you know it, more the colors were brighter the textures were kind of gloopy and like incredible the packaging I think was probably quite childlike so it probably appealed to me a bit more than what she was using at the time which is probably a lot more sophisticated by then because I was obsessed with color anyway now I look back I think God you know I was so into color and I used to with crayons you know the, like the yellow red and the red yellow and the orangey yellow and the yellowy orange I mean I was obsessed with all of that And so when I found this box that kind of had crayons in it, I mean, makeup crayons, it had little pots of like colours that I was like so into. Anything like that, I just thought was like an extension to my crayon kit, really. And I like drawing and and I was drawing faces and things. So I just started using that to draw with. You know, this box, it was like a cardboardy box. It had the drawers in, it was just full of makeup. And everything in there, I was like obsessed with so I used to get it out all the time play with it put it back in there I used to have a thing where I'd used to put like little circles of the colors because they were so sort of oily and then I used to put a little drop of water on them and they would settle as like jewels so yeah so I just loved the colors the colors were just different to my Crayola but it was sort of similar and the waxy textures the gloopy textures the you know the pearl All of that was just like a dream come true. It was like the best paint box I'd ever seen in my entire life at that point. And then you were given a gift of a book on stage makeup. So that made you sort of put two and two together. Well, I used to say that I loved this makeup, my mum's old makeup. So I think maybe, I don't know if my mum had kind of said to people, oh, Lisa likes like playing with old makeup, which is, you know, random. And then I used to say, I like drawing. When I grow up, I think I'll be a, an artist. And then somebody said to me, oh, if you're an artist, you can't ever make any money, but you can be a commercial artist. I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. When I was 13, I got this book um, on stage makeup. Um, I was going to say it's probably next to my bed still. Yes, yeah, I think it is. And it was fascinating because it was everything that I loved. It had one actor and he made himself up as all these different characters. And he had probably like five grease paint sticks and a couple of other bits and pieces. And then he would make himself into all these incredible Shakespearean characters. He would make himself look older, look younger. look. And I just thought, wow, that's everything that I like. It's faces. I loved faces. I love that. And it's makeup, drawing, sticks of colour. I love those. And that was it. I didn't have any other ideas. I just had that. So I just thought that's what I'm going to do and I'll have to just try and do it. Now I look back and I think, God, that was a bit kind of wild to think that, especially when I didn't really have any contacts and didn't know anyone in that industry or anyone to help me. It was a bit of a bold move, should we say. But I just used to say to people, I'm going to be a makeup artist. You know, I went into school literally the next day after my birthday and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a makeup artist. But I remember, like, because I was terrible at maths, and, like, the math teacher was, you know, trying to get me to, like, understand it. And I said, honestly, I don't think I need to be doing this because I'm going to be a makeup artist and I'm not going to need any of this. I don't think I need to sit this exam. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. I felt exactly the same when I was doing English
1: literature and I suddenly got really good at it. Everything else was like, when they were talking about the sciences, I was like, look, I need this to pass
0: my GCSEs, but really... Not going to need it. So don't worry. Yeah. You know if, if you've got something you're going to do. You kind of yeah. know. Yeah. You have a feel for it. You feel it in your gut and you're convinced.
1: If I asked you to conjure up Lisa Eldridge at the age of 15, what did you look like? Were you colouring your hair? Were you someone who was dressing in an avant-garde way? Paint us a little picture of you.
0: Um, 15. Yeah. Probably just kind of makeup. I didn't used to wear makeup. which she's like I loved makeup. I used to put it on for entertainment and I used to put it on, on my mum's like really expensive makeup and I used to do like silent movie star looks on myself when I got home from school. But I used to wash it all off. I would never have gone out like that with that kind of makeup on. Hair wise, definitely kind of trying like different hairstyles. Never really dyed my hair, but yeah, my mum my was like, didn't like me, like wouldn't have let me dye my hair to be honest. It was even hard to get the ears pierced. I would have been getting, like, bits and pieces of, like, really fashionable clothes, you know, from Topshop. I mean, nothing expensive. So clothes and hair, actually, more so than makeup at 15. I would love to put it on other people. You know, I'd I'd put makeup on other people and friends, but I didn't really wear a lot myself.
1: I feel like there's two different kinds of enjoyment of makeup at that age. There's the one where you're doing makeup because you want to look a certain way and you're either, like, conforming or you're trying things which is perfectly normal at that age or it's like the artistry of it and just enjoying that and it sounds to me like you were enjoying makeup for makeup's sake almost it wasn't about getting you to look a certain way it was like ah what can I do with this stuff and then it was all over for you (laughs) you you did it and then you were done
0: yeah definitely it was more about the artistry and a way to paint, you know, and be creative. Um, I mean, of course, by the time I was 16, 17, then I was experimenting and putting on colours and doing my own face. But 15, I don't think I kind of got into makeup on my own face at that stage. Did it change for you later? Yeah, no, absolutely. And then I used to do like all kinds of mad makeup I was obsessed with Miss Selfridge. So I used to get their catalogue and then I'd be like, oh my God, I want to do all of these looks. And I used to do all the looks from the Miss Selfridge catalogue, the makeup, Kiss and Makeup, it was the makeup brand. I was obsessed with that. So I used to go down to Miss Selfridge and buy that makeup and put it on and like whatever was in the catalogue, I'd be like, I need that makeup. So by then, yeah, I'd got into makeup like 16 and I just used to wear loads of makeup. You've just sparked a really strong memory um, that I have
1: of watching the Spice Girls perform. And they used to wear that at one point in the late, late 90s. They'd wear those very glossy eyes. Do you remember those when it was like wet eyes? When, yeah. yeah. And I tried to do it with lip gloss. Thank God it wasn't oh my God. a proper burning lip gloss. But I just remember having like glue coming <laughs> into my eyes. And, because it's those, they're very strong looks. Those pop star looks. And in itself, like their looks,
0: they're not like just pretty makeup. And then trying those when you're that age is quite experimental. Yeah, I think like you said, just looking at like, you know, on top of the pops or on television. And I I guess I'd been quite into old movies at one point as well. So when I was younger, so I was really into like, I loved the idea of like 1920s makeup and 60s makeup and 50s makeup. I liked already kind of vintagey type things already by then, vintagey clothes and things.
1: How did you take all of that and become a makeup artist?
0: What what were the steps you took? Oh, it definitely wasn't a straightforward journey because I didn't really know. Like I used to look at all the magazines and you know, I'd kind of look at my mum's glossy magazines and things, and you know, I'd kind of look at a Vogue magazine and I'd be like, wow, these people like do the makeup for all these incredible covers and I'd like to do that. And, you know, I remember seeing like Mary Greenwell, this name, and thinking, oh. You know, she does the makeup for the covers and it's incredible. I want to do that. But if you asked anyone, like at school, it was hilarious when I used to say, I want to be a makeup artist to the careers officer. They'd be like, well, I think you can get a job at the BBC. Mm -hmm. So it definitely was a long journey to like really just to figure it out. And when I left school, my friend's dad had a beauty salon. So I was sort of working in there. And I did a course in, well, it was beauty therapy, really, but I thought we'd do makeup. And I just thought this was good because I'll just get the basics of it. Still didn't really know how I was going to figure it all out. And it was good. I used to go and do this course and I've got like some really top qualification in facials and skin analysis, but we did hardly any makeup. I thought, well, I better just move to London. The supermodels had had their thing. You know, I'd been looking at, Magazine, seeing all these supermodels, seeing Mary Greenwell, thinking that's what I want to do, but I don't really know how to do it. And so I just thought, well, the best thing is I just go to London. But I didn't have the cash, so I needed to get a job straight away. So I got a job on a makeup counter. And actually, it was fine because it meant that I could like settle into London, get used to it. They gave you free makeup because you could get an allowance every month. So it meant that I could sort of get quite a few bits together. I was at Elizabeth Arden in House of Fraser and then Longcom Harrods. That was quite a good moment because I was getting my kit together. I was starting to kind of figure out how to get myself kind of practicing with makeup, trying to find young photographers. So it just gave me a bit of breathing space. Plus it was really nice because I got to make up all kinds of faces. So people that come in to shop for makeup, see they're not models, so it's really good experience. Every age group, every skin tone, people would come in. And I was always the one to say, I'll do your makeup. Like everyone knew on the counter that I was like the makeup obsessed person and that I would want to do everyone's makeup. When I got to Harrods, it was quite funny because I took that job because they had a makeup room. Oh, no. Nice. You could just do makeup, like not be on the counter, like be behind the scenes doing makeup. So I took that job and I they used to book people in and I'd be doing people's makeup. But I got caught actually saying to somebody, oh, we don't have your shade in this thing, but if you go to that counter, because I knew all the brands, obviously, because we're so obsessed with makeup. So i will be like, well, I know that they've got this colour on that counter or you've got that on there. And I got caught saying that. And um, I got reported me. Yeah, it's very Miracle on 34th Street, isn't it? Yeah, it was actually, they reported me to like the head person and she came in, she was like Margaret Thatcher, like a battle axe in this suit with a handbag. And she came in and she said, I need to have a word with you. And I was like, oh God, she said, you've been um, sending people to like other counters. I was like, well, only if we don't have exactly what they need. And anyway, the long of short it was that she kind of gave me a telling off and I just felt rebellious and she was apparently you're just doing makeup all day anyway. You're not really on the counter. So I was like, no. Basically, someone on the counter must have snitched and said, oh, well, you, you you actually want to be a makeup artist? She said, well, is that what you want to do? Like, you don't really want to work on the counter. And I said, yes, I do want to be a makeup artist and I'm going to be one of the top makeup artists in the world. And she just said, I think you should get your bags and go. And I said, I think I should as well. So, yeah, so that was the end of that, quite abruptly. But by then I was like, I need to, you know, crack on with makeup anyway. Mm -hmm. So how did you get your first big break? The first big break, I just had to kind of knock on doors. I was going into like all the model agencies, like Models One and Storm, and I would give them my card and say, look, I'm testing at the moment. And they would say, oh, great. So if they had some young makeup artists that were going to, you know, work with young photographers that wanted to get their portfolio together... So I was testing, like every weekend I was testing, basically. So on a Sunday morning, I'd be in the Isle of Dogs at 6am, you know, doing a test. And then sometimes it worked out and you had to pay for the print. So that was the problem. It was quite expensive to test. Like you couldn't do it digitally like you would now. You'd have to like choose the pictures that you liked and then get them printed and put into your physical portfolio. So I got another job on a reception at um, an architect's office, (laughs) But that was a really nice thing to do because while I was in there, I always used to like see who was around and I saw this little buzzy place. It was in Mayfair, right opposite the office that I used to work in. So I was like, that looks interesting. So I knocked on the door and I said, what goes on here? And he's like, oh, it's um, Terence Donovan's studio, the photographer's studio. And I was like, oh, I thought it was a photographer's studio. I said, well, this is my card. I said, I work over the road, but I'm a makeup artist. And if you're ever testing. And he said, well, I'm Terence's assistant and I am testing. So I started doing some tests with him. And then by then the model agencies kind of knew I was good. So they would bring me up. So I had to keep taking days off sick in this architect's office. So they cottoned on (laughs) They were like, you keep taking days off sick. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be really honest. I'm actually, you know, I'm going to be a makeup artist. I am a makeup artist. So they were like, okay, you should go. Um, and then I got, then I figured out, okay, I'm going to do agency work. And after that, I did agency work as a receptionist. And it was great because it, it, I was able to earn money do all the tests because I wasn't driven by money. I still aren't. And I used to be... Um, like they'd say to me, like maybe a model agency would say, "Oh, do you want to do this job? It's like for Listerine, and it's you know a thousand pounds, which is a fortune." Say, so "Do you want to do this little picture in the back page of ID? There's no money, but it's a good thing." And I'd be like, "I'll do the ID thing because I want the good picture." So that's kind of what I did. So I used to just do all the cool little tests that were coming in, and I just kind of worked days off, evenings, weekends, all the time doing testing. You mentioned Mary Greenwell earlier and
1: seeing her name and then you went on to assist her but I wonder why if you were winning work at this point and your career was definitely on a trajectory why did you want to go and assist someone and what did you think that that would add?
0: Well I came back from Milan because I decided to go and live in Milan for three months and that was a crazy old time I kind of just rocked up and that was really a kind of key moment for me because I threw myself in there. There was so much testing to do, so much makeup work for someone like me because it was just full of new models trying to make it. There was loads of like little things that you could do. Mm. And I got back from there and I thought, my portfolio actually looked pretty good by then. For somebody that was young and starting out, like I had a decent body of work and I had some tear sheets by then. and, And I just thought, I really want to assist. I hadn't assisted anyone at that point. So I thought, well, I'll go to Mary Greenwell's agent. She actually said to me, it was Debbie Walters was the agent. And she said, you don't need to assist. Like, the book looks really good. It sounds like you're doing really well. So I said, I want to do it. And I've said in interviews before that I think when you are starting out as a makeup artist, you go on these jobs and they're all like new people. Like, you know, the models are sort of, green and fresh and new and everyone is and I hadn't been on a job where a kind of supermodel or a celebrity walked in or a top 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 stylist or and I just thought I wonder if you behave differently like in those situations or if it's the same like I didn't know what almost the uh, the code would be I just thought working with Mary and I did two I did a season in London with her and a season in Paris and I thought it will just be so interesting to watch her as a top person, like how she is with people. Anyway, and it, you know, the, the bottom line was it was no different because, you know, Linda Evangelista, she's like, hi, darling, how are you? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Like you talk to a new model or so that was really interesting. But it was also really good to work with her. Yeah, I remember kind of trying to be really fast and sort of rush the makeup. And then she said, oh, you know, take your time, you know, at shows, you know, just make it gorgeous and take your time. So things like that. And I remember Charlotte Tilbury and we were kind of friends and, you know, working with Mary. And then I did a season with Linda Cantello, who was a really, really big, is a really big makeup artist and was just so creative. She was my favorite makeup artist for like editorial and shows and things like that. So I, I did a season or two with her. In Paris, and um, I remember like doing the makeup. That was the look, but I sort of pimped it slightly and added something different. And she came over to me, and I was like, "No." And she said, "You're really good. You've actually made that better." And you're, she said, "You're you're really good." And her agency took me on, which was Atlantis. After I'd done that season with with Mary, um, I heard amongst the grapevine that they wanted to take me on. And, to get with that agency at that time was quite a big deal because they only had Guido, Sam, Mary, Diane Kendall, Laurie Starrett was a really big maker. So I was like the baby kind of starting out that joined that agency really with not a lot. So that was kind of when it took off. Out of sheer curiosity, do you remember what the look was that you picked up and what you did to it? I can't remember, but I think it was like, it was definitely backstage at show. And I think I added like metallic or something because I can remember it wasn't like you're supposed to follow what they do. And I did slightly change it. And she said, oh, you've put metallic in, in on the eyelid, haven't you? And I said, yeah, sorry, I can take it off. And she went, no, it looks really good. And she went, you're really, really good. Amazing.
1: To have like one of your heroes say that to you though as well, that's like...
0: I know to have Linda Cantello say that to you was like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sweating here, cold sweat.
1: Um, in your career you've worn so many different hats as an artist you do editorial red carpet product development backstage youtube educator and those are only the five that first came to mind can you talk us through just a little bit the different disciplines and how each requires like a different skill or focus because i think to people who are listening who aren't well-versed in makeup um
0: wouldn't realize that
1: those are actually quite different mediums i want to say
0: oh yeah i mean all of those things are completely different um tutorial makeup is very different from, say, red carpet makeup. It's a completely different discipline. It's a different mindset. It's a different everything. And, you know, now I've been working on movies quite a lot the last few years, working with Tim Burton. You know, I did Dumbo with him. I actually did the look for Wednesday, the character. That kind of stuff also requires a completely different discipline. And when you get into being a creative director of a brand, that's a whole different group of skills. So something like that requires you to be able to go up on stage and speak to a big audience and deliver big PR days and interviews and talk, and then the YouTube thing is very different again because it's a whole different set of skills from everything else. So yeah, they're kind of all completely different. I was going to say the common thread is that you
1: love the makeup and you have passion for it, and it's sort of handy that you're really eloquent and um, able to translate that because it means that you can work in all those without finding it difficult i think for some people one thing is their thing
0: mm, yeah and i get that I, feel, I say that to young makeup artists now they're like oh i love makeup and you know i'm really into it and i but i don't want to go on youtube and i don't want to be like doing my own makeup on instagram i'm like don't if you don't enjoy it there's definitely still a place for really strong editorial makeup artists you know and people with ideas that don't necessarily have to do that because I feel almost everyone's forced to be like putting themselves out there now and it's not what everyone wants to do and I understand that and I, I I sympathize with that actually for young artists yeah with you, there's also sort of this huge other thing, which is
1: the makeup history. you love makeup history. you've written a book about it, you've made a program called Make up a glamorous History, at the BBC you collect items hearing your backstory that makes complete sense, but I have three quite specific questions that I want to ask you about this the first is what is the most prized product from your collection
0: if you could keep one what would it be that's too difficult a question I mean I love all of it (laughs) (sighs) because I like some of the really bashed in things that have so much emotional and oh there's just some things that people be like why do you even collect that I'm like it just tells you so much about person and so much about this era and other things that are just so pristine and beautiful and obviously really expensive and worth a lot of money that are special in some ways but not necessarily more special than the the everyday every regular person stuff because I like both of them um I don't know how I could ever decide one piece oh I don't think I could actually uh yeah, I think that's just impossible. It's like children. It's impossible. I feel like there's so many things that are, are special to me, either because I it was a really rare thing or it was the, one of the first things got, or it is particularly unusual that I couldn't choose one. I really couldn't.
1: I love that you said about the everyday nature of things, too. Um, There's a book by Hallie Rubenhold called called The Five. I don't know if you've read it. It's about Jack the Ripper's victims, and it talks from their perspective. So it's not really a whodunit at all. It's just about the women's lives. And at the end of the book, she lists everything that was found on each of those women. And it's like half a comb, um, section of a mirror, you know, one glove, And it's these really small personal things. And to me, at that point, it, it made me feel very emotional because those tiny things that we touch every day, I know if you looked in my handbags, you'd get a better idea of who I am than looking at my face, for example, because this is sort of, you know, there are choices made, but it's really largely what I've been given genetically. But the things you carry around are, are such a choice and they, they tell you these stories. So I feel like absolutely those sort of and used items, like contain someone's like soul in some way it's like the history of their life is there
0: oh absolutely I mean yeah I think like there is a set of fake eyelashes that I have that are like from the 1930s and I just think that to be able to afford to buy fake eyelashes and to have them democratized to the point where you could be working in a factory and buy fake eyelashes and there's just this set that I've obviously been worn to death as being like the glue still perfectly in box although it's empty and then the lashes have been taken off. And I just think this, this represented, like, something so special. This was like a fantasy world of, you know, leaving whatever job they had. I don't know who they were or what they did. But I imagine, you know, somebody kind of going out and putting on their fake eyelashes and they become this movie star and this attitude and this... And it's just like they are just... They feel like they've got this energy. When I touch them, I'm like, wow, these were so special to someone. This is gold. It's such a lovely thing. So it must have felt so exciting and so, you know, incredible to own something like that. Right, my next question. Which era most intrigued you for the makeup? Probably the interwar years. So I would say 20s and 30s. Just because of what's happening, the fact that makeup is becoming a thing, it's the beginning of makeup. And I often, I feel like such a a huge sea change in attitudes towards makeup and availability of makeup, a little bit like what happened between 2010 and 2020. When YouTube started and makeup became, it had this massive renaissance, and people were being taught how to be a makeup artist, which is essentially what happened. And I feel like that's a kind of another big sea change, which was fascinating. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to have lived through that and been part of it. But that first moment in the 20s and 30s of regular girls being able to go down to Woolworths and buy a lipstick for 10p or a dime just looking at the headlines there's an amazing headline in the times of like these girls are going to bring down our country they have to be stopped in you know, the flappers because they're walking around with their slashed red mouths and sometimes when i walk around i'm in like in an era of no one wearing any makeup and clothes not being particularly colorful and can you imagine seeing someone walk around the corner with a short bob hairstyle and red lips what would it be the equivalent of today i mean I don't even think there is an equivalent of anyone that extreme today. You could say somebody that was tattooed head to toe, but that's kind of now done. But that was even more extreme then. To have bobbed hair and red lips was so out there. It was so punk. It was so kind of like (laughs) anti-establishment. All of that stuff. That is so fascinating to me. That period particularly is... um, and I love all the items. Everything is tiny. It's still playing into a misogynistic idea that women should be dainty and every, so everything's small, and all the advertising's about daintiness. But at the end of the day it's it might be a small item. Mm-hmm. but when you open it, it's bright red, and that would have been a shocking, shocking sight, shocking.
1: yeah it's so interesting how when you look back in history, these looks affected people so much. I may um major Elvis fan and like all the stuff to do with his image in the 50s and the way people were talking Mm. about him and saying that he was you know, going to bring down society because he was suggestively waggling his hips. I mean, there's no, I don't think we yeah. can imagine now for a 50 you know, seeing him. I mean, I don't think he looks the same. I think he still comes across as quite sexy, I want to say. But even so. Yeah. But even so, and like the, the greasy hair and all of that, and people were so disturbed by it. And I just think we don't, we don't have an equivalent of that because now it's like we recycle looks uh, and tweak them. But I feel like there isn't, There isn't a new version of that because sort of now with our appearances, almost everything's been done so that I don't know how you would shock now, really, in the same way.
0: Yeah, no, the next is is, is a good few years off when there will be something so out there. But in this period, we've done everything. We've seen everything. It's recycled. Even in the last seven years, there hasn't been any big breakthroughs in technology and makeup particularly. So it's, it's interesting to imagine that kind of, shock factor you know
1: (laughs) so if you could go back in time and make up three people from history let's say three people who aren't alive anymore so you know
0: let's go back a while who would they be Ah, gosh I think Theda Barra I'd love to talk to her I'm fascinated by her I would love to get her take on it all I mean, I've read books about her and things, but I would just love to meet her in person. I'd love to do her makeup for a film back then, you know, to do the coal eyes, to do all of that stuff. So she would be one. Mm -hmm. Then I would love to do Marie Antoinette, obviously, just because then I could really see the exact color of everything that she's using. I'd like to touch it, see it. it. I want to feel the the makeup as well. Mm The whole process basically from start to finish that would be amazing i would like to go back to ancient uh-huh. egypt and there were makeup artists but in ancient egypt so i would like to be a makeup artist in ancient egypt if i can do cleopatra great if i can't that's fine i'll do anyone else a makeup. but <laughs> i would love to feel the textures and to see it in reality to see people's faces in reality uh-huh. you know how that looked um would just be fascinating so yeah. I mean, I could think of loads of other time periods I'd like to go back to as well. It's interesting that people in the future will look back
1: at your work and probably wish that they could have been in one of the rooms that you were in making up someone you've made up. Yeah because you're that person who has those experiences now, it feeds back into you having these big established relationships with celebrities and you work with them a lot. So there are three people that I've written down. And I wonder, because you've got this amazing lipstick range, and if you could share one of them, like that you think that woman should wear, you know, would make them look fantastic, which would it be for Eva Green, Kate Winslet and Sophie Dahl?
0: Okay, Eva's easy because it's her favourite colour. It's Velvet Morning. Oh, okay. I mean, she can wear a lot, but um, that's her kind of favourite. Mm-hmm. So Velvet Morning, because with that orangey-red, she looks incredible. So love, love, love. For Kate, or as I was with yesterday, I would say Velvet Petal. Interesting. She definitely looks good with those kind of more light pink shades on her lips. That's a kind of comfort zone. I mean, I love her in a red lip, to be honest. I love her with, like, velvet rib. Um And occasionally we do a red lip, but she's more at home with a more natural coloured lip. So I'd say velvet pencil.
1: But you once said when you were doing... Uh, you are talking about Kate's makeup in a video, you said she likes to do something to her own lips at the end.
0: Oh, yeah, no, she has um, a line shape she likes. So it's the lower lip that she... Um, she likes a particular shape at the outer edges of the lip so yeah I mean I could do that in my sleep now on her but I still give her the pencil <laughs> I'd want to do my little foible whatever myself as well so I still hand her the pencil and I did yesterday you know and say like do your, your lip line because it's the way you like it you know and I could I could do it um, but I put myself in my customer, my client's shoes sometimes, you know, when I'm doing makeup. So that's why I always ask them, like, is there anything you don't like with a new client? Anything you like? What about your face? Like, you had makeup that you didn't like? Because when you ask those questions, it's so interesting and it's quite revealing about them and about how they feel about their face. Okay. And Sophie Dahl. Oh, my God. Yeah, she looks good in everything. Oh, she's just the dream. I love her in um, velvet Fawn if I'm doing like a deeper eye on her, like she's the dream for a purple eye. She loves purple eyes anyway. In fact, she messaged me when I'd just done a thing on Ava with the myth palette. And she's like, that's like, oh my God, that eye was insane. So I love her with that kind of a a purpley eye. And then this really kind of almost beigey pink rose lip. I love her in that look. But then again, she can look really good in a deep shade as well. So something like Blush Lightly is a good colour for her as well. It's a little bit more blue. It's got blue undertones in it. um, And it's a bit deeper. It's really good in that. But like Velvet Midnight, she would look incredible in. I haven't actually done that look on her. But mm, maybe I will. Oh,
1: (laughs) You are such a busy woman. There's so many people who want your time. I'd like to know, do you have a routine... And if so, could you give us a framework of what you do every day to feel set up and like you've had some time to yourself?
0: Um, I do like having a bath. And I actually, I went shopping two nights ago and I was like, I want to buy some treats. Even though I get sent stuff, it feels like special. And I bought some like really amazing bath salts. And so last night, because it's been crazy recently, I had a lovely bath in this stuff. It smelled incredible. That's what I like doing. I like going in the bath. I get all my good ideas in the bath as well. So I love to kind of just listen to music, get into the bath, and put face mask on while I'm in there. That's like the dream for me. Things just get overwhelming. I float for like half an hour. Interesting. And is there anything else? Like, are you someone who's quite routine about like food, exercise, anything like that? I try to be like I have my good phases and my not so good phases. When I'm in survival mode and it's just so busy, I just have to say to myself, "Doesn't don't worry about it." Like I'll be eating not great. When I'm being good, then I'm really good on my supplements, on what I eat. I go to the gym really regularly. I mean, that's quite a new thing for me. It's only been a year and a half, but I've been going to the gym the last three months. I've only gone twice a week or once a week, but now I want to get back into it. and I really like I really like doing that. And I do Pilates, and when I'm on it, I'm I'm very very good. And in general, I eat pretty healthy. I mean, I haven't I've 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 always eaten really healthy. But if I'm if I fall off the wagon in in terms of sugar and stuff, I don't beat myself up about it. Are you the person who cooks in your household? Because you've got two children as well, and I know they're more grown
1: ups now. But were you someone who would? sort of go home and cook
0: yeah I used to cook a lot I mean I don't actually at the moment but I used to cook and I really enjoyed cooking I feel like it is a bit like doing um creating products because I always say that when I'm creating products that's like cooking so I guess the reverse is true in that you know adding and putting that little bit of metallic paint on the eye could be just putting in a, a herb that wasn't really in the recipe book so I like things like that and I used to love making a uh, decorative cakes for birthdays and things like that because that feels almost like doing face paint so yeah I do really like cooking right before I ask you the
1: questions I ask oh my guests, I've got a couple of producty questions to ask you so if you were doing your own
0: makeup for a very early start what would you reach for what's non-negotiable for you concealer or something just to even up the redness around my mouth and chin my face is the skin's a lot redder than like my, my body and particularly in certain areas. So I will just put a little bit of foundation, even just here, like I'll do it in the taxi on the way to a job. And if I just even out this area, then I can cope with the whole day. But if this is bright red, it just upsets me. I use a foundation that's a touch more golden than my face, but it makes my face and neck kind of join together. So if I get rid of this, and then once I've done that, if I've got a bit more time, I'm happy to stop there. And if I've got a bit more time, I'll curl my eyelashes, put a little bit of uh, mascara on and some blush. That's the dream sort of face for me. Mm -hmm. And if I were one of
1: your old friends and I phoned you up now and said, Lisa, like, I'm going to London tomorrow. I'm going to go shopping. Just what do I need to buy? Tell me a few products you love. What would
0: they be? Oh, my God, I'd say, what do you need? Because like you don't want to just be buying stuff for no reason. I'd say, what are you in the mood for? What do you need? My friends do this all the time, by the way, and ask me to do makeup and give them makeup lessons. So I'd ask them what they've got in the makeup bag. And I'd be like, OK, that needs updating. Oh, that could do with a better version of that. Or we did a makeup thing on my YouTube channel a couple of weeks ago with a subscriber. Um, she brought me her makeup bag and she had an orangey blush in there bright orange bronzer her boyfriend had bought it for her but um it really didn't suit her so I'm like you just need to get rid of this I'm sorry I know it's expensive but it honestly doesn't suit you the color and then there was a lip liner that didn't suit her, the wrong color and there was some fake eyelashes in there that really didn't suit her face shape eye shape so I guess it's hard to say what people need. It's like when people say, what's the five minute makeup? I'm like, there isn't one. Everyone's got a different area of their face. They need to spend the five minutes on. So sorry, I haven't answered the question. Basically, I'm saying, look in your makeup bag. What's not working? What feels like it needs updating? What would make you happy? um, And what would bring you joy?
1: Final question before I ask you the three questions, which is how I finish that. A lot of people level a lot of stuff at makeup. There's a lot of like almost I want to say if we went back to the medieval era when it was like, oh well makeup is deceptive. And sometimes people will talk about makeup as being pure joy. And sometimes people will talk about, you know, the necessity of makeup. There's a lot of emotions leveled at it. What I've got from you throughout the chat that we've had is that to you it's joy and creativity. And that feels like that's what you're talking about on your YouTube channel too. It's not about conforming, it's about giving good tips to people and if you'd like to learn this um, is makeup still now, after years and years of doing it, is it still a source of, I want to say, unbridled joy for you? And when you sit down with someone new in front of you, are you still excited to do their face?
0: Yes, I'm definitely still excited to do makeup and to work on faces and to create looks. Uh, that's never gone away to the point where when I'm now kind of busy with my own brand and my team will say, oh, because I'll accept makeup jobs. And they were like, really? You're like, you like probably should have a day off. And I don't <laughs> understand. That is a day off for me. If I go and do this person's makeup or I go and do an editorial, that is a day off for me. Because my mind, it's like a meditation when I'm doing the makeup. My mind is free. The business side of it, I guess, is different. Like Now there's just so many makeup brands and so much going on. You know, I'm still overjoyed by things that I feel I have heart and soul. When it becomes just marketing, I've never liked that anyway. And I can smell it you know, like I don't like that. But when something is coming from a place where I think that's a, an a incredible product and I love the, you know, the founder or the story and I can feel really passionate about it still, even today, actually. So, yeah, and I, and I get that people get, you know, I've been on done interviews on Radio 4 and then had people like messaging me saying stop pushing makeup I'm like I'm not saying that everyone has to wear makeup I'm not saying that we have to even wear a particular type of makeup I'm saying if you don't like makeup and you don't want to wear it don't wear it that's what I agree with 100% I'm not pushing makeup onto anyone but what I am saying is that men, women, anyone should be allowed to wear makeup if they want to wear it and if they enjoy it and if they enjoy the primeval creativity of just painting your face, which is something that I believe is just in us, not all of us, because some people don't want to do it. So I really feel like the worst thing that can happen to makeup is that it gets marketed in a way that you are made to believe you need it and you ha- you can't live without it or that it's marketing in a way that is making out that you're not going to be good enough without this particular product or do you know what I mean I just don't like that side of it and I never have liked that side of it you know I've, I've spoken a lot about negative advertising and things and I don't enjoy that which is why I don't actually have a marketing person in my company because I don't really want I'm like I'm doing my thing whether it's trendy or not I have a passion and I speak my mind about what I love and I genuinely am able to do my YouTube channel because I am a hundred percent true to myself if if someone gave me lines to say that weren't right you would notice I couldn't do it so as long as I'm doing that and if somebody wanted to join in with me and be passionate about that or likes what I'm doing that's great but nobody needs to nobody I'm not asking anyone I'm not forcing anyone to do it. Um, so I kind of feel like that. And then, I, cause I remember like some feminists got really upset with me years ago when I did, used to do Kim Kardashian's makeup when she used to be in London and I used to do her makeup whenever she was here and they'd be like, well, how can you do like her makeup? Because it's all about like products. And I'm like, no, it isn't. Nobody's asking you to copy her makeup. She's not asking you. She's got her style. She's into that. She's really passionate. She likes makeup. And that's her style. And she knew I didn't watch Keeping Up With The questions. It doesn't matter. I don't have to be. She loves makeup. I loved makeup. She had a style of makeup. I've got a style of makeup. And actually, it was joyful and lovely. Mm-hmm. So all of these arguments are valid. But at the end of the day, if you, you know, we should be in a society where you can wear no makeup, a bit of makeup, loads of makeup, or you can change it every day. And, and when it's like that, then we, I feel like we're in a good place.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's also a symptom of what's going on across all, you know, different spheres, isn't it? Like, if we can accept that people want to look the way they look, we can accept they want to live the way they live, you know, within the confines of being a decent human being, you know, whatever.
0: Carry on if you're happy.
1: Live your best life. So I'm going to ask you the three questions I ask all my guests. The first being, what to your mind has been your greatest triumph um, career or personal?
0: Oh, probably um, being a mum. That's what I've enjoyed, like, beyond I could ever imagined. Um, And I still love it today. So I think that's been my favourite thing. It's been a very creative project. And um, that'll be the thing that I'll be like, wow, that was amazing.
1: (laughs) Name one piece of advice you would give your younger self and which Version or age of you, I want to say, would you return to?
0: I would give myself the advice to, <clears throat> um, I guess I was brought up to be like, oh, don't ever like blow your own trumpet, don't ever like, don't show off kind of thing. And um, I think at times, in the beginning of my career, it kind of held me back when I was doing well. And they say, people would say, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I've done a bit of makeup. And I think back, I'm like, come on, Wim, what were you doing? Modesty is lovely, and I think that's all, you know, fine. Um, but if I could have a chat with myself, I'd be like, come on, girl, talk about it. Get it up, you know. I think it could have helped me a lot to be a bit more out there verbally. Name
1: three people, dead or alive, who you'd like to have dinner with and why. And I'm going to say, let's say they're coming to your
0: dinner party tonight. Okay. Um, I think I'll have Virginia Woolf because of the book Orlando and I kind of want to ask some questions about that her I'm gonna have Derek Jarman because we can talk about colour for hours and hours and hours in fact I don't know, I think I might have to have him on a separate day just to talk about colour okay and for my third person who am I gonna have I think uh maybe I'll have the queen actually just because it could Ooh. be good to like Yeah, I've got some questions there as well. Be quite interesting. Also, a bit of a makeup fan, the Queen. Yeah, no, she is a makeup fan. She was a makeup fan. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I've got some questions. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so
1: much for coming on the show. It's been wonderful to chat and to run through all of your world. I feel like um, I want to go off and play with makeup now. So that was Lisa Eldridge. What an absolute treat to sit down and have a chat with her. I just loved that and I hope you enjoyed it even half as much as I did. Now, as promised, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this week's sponsor, Amly. So, Amly are a sustainable and cruelty-free British skincare brand who marry plant power and scientifically proven ingredients to create beautiful and really evocative products. The thing that most struck me while learning about how each product came about was how much of an experience each one was, from the variety of textures ranging from sensorial mists to beautiful buttery balms, to the natural scents which are drawn from meadows and ancient woodlands. I know how that sounds, but honestly though, they really deliver on both the impact on your skin and just feeling like a real treat that takes you away to somewhere magical. Since their launch in 2015, they've won over 18 industry awards. That's huge. That's a lot of awards in that short of time and have had their products dubbed Magic in a Bottle by Vogue, which is pretty much how I describe the blends of silver infused spring water with natural and biotech ingredients that really deliver great results. My favourites, if absolutely pushed to name some of them, would be the All Over Radiance Moisturising Body Essence, which is really lightweight. You just tap it on and it it disappears into your skin. But it packs a punch on the moisturising front and has been doing amazing work of keeping my legs from resembling a sort of scaly, (laughs) scaly situation at the moment. I also love the Eye Care Floral Water Cream, which likewise feels light and slippy, but makes my eyes feel hydrated for hours after applying. Now, I've tried the whole range and find them all so well considered and curated. And if you'd like to give them a while yourself, visit amlybotanicals.co.uk and use the code BEAUTY22 for 22% off your first order. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the podcast. There will be another episode of Beautiful Lives along in a week where I will be speaking to the incredible Giselle LaPompe More.